This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. Head on over to kidscanfish.net and take a look at all the really cool things that these this family, I mean, is really the best way to say it, uh, are coming together and making an awesome program for kids, helping them get out and fish, learn fishing. They get to go home with something from it, not only uh, from knowledge, but also tangible. They got some rods, they've had cast nets, lots of cool stuff. So kidscanfish.net head on over there and hey while you're there sign up for the red bull uh ssi running of the bulls charity tournament i'm gonna be there it's gonna be a lot of fun you'll hear more about it all right you're listening to finding demo surf fishing here we go Hello, everyone. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. Hope you've been catching a bunch of fish, getting out, trying something new. Maybe you've gone to a different area. That'd be really cool. Love to hear the story about it. So definitely tell us. This week, we're doing another road trip up to Georgia. And we're talking a couple of different things this time. I met uh, this gentleman, (laughs) Brian. I met him while we were up at the tournament last year and uh, got onto the topic of rods. And all of a sudden, it turns out Brian makes rods. And I was like, huh, okay this should be fun. Starts telling me about his stuff. Well, then it gets into more fun. Apparently uh, we're from the home, same home state, uh, which was really like, wait a minute, what do you got there? Why do you have that number? Um, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, this week we're going to be talking about rod making, fishing, a whole gamut. So without further ado, Brian, welcome to the show, man. I'm so glad to finally have you on. Yes. It's good. To be, it's good to be here for sure. We've only been talking about this i mean we talked about it at the tournament it was like yeah we can do this we can do this and then time 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 and it was finally like i had all your questions pretty much ready and then you messaged me like hey dude let's do this i was like well how fortunate is this timing (laughs) yeah i mean you know when we were talking at the tournament uh the fortunate thing is i got a chance to at least check out some of your you know the podcasts that you've done and kind of see how they go and um it seems like I mean, you're doing a great job for sure. I think you're a great uh, podcast host, if that's worth anything. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to start blushing, but uh, duck the head a little. It always works. Thanks, man. I've been, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I know you've also played in the podcast world, too. Yeah, a little bit here and there. So where I work, uh, I have a, a, a podcast for the particular community that I serve. So yep. um, I... I try not to talk too much on it because uh, really they're there to listen to the you know the folks that are that I'm bringing on. But uh, for the most part, we're trying to turn it into more of what this is, more of a conversation than like because I'm in, for lack of better words, I'm in like uh, law enforcement academia. So it, we're trying to make it into something where it's more of a I, I prefer the long form you know conversation yeah. over just somebody like briefing something that's you know it's not that exciting so that's by briefing is never a good time you're right up there with powerpoint you're like oh gosh just make it end yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) so well 
let's get into the fun stuff here, man. You're you, you've got a lot of fun things to talk about. I know that one of them we're going to talk about is bandit custom rods. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about fishing there and other places that you've been. Cause you told me you, you've done quite a bit of fishing uh, on and off for years, apparently, but let's start at the beginning. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. So I did some fishing growing up. A lot of people have this story where they start off fishing as a kid I really didn't have that, um, you know, growing up, I, I remember going fishing a few times with my, you know, with my father and, um, my father would, I, I think my father in some ways was probably spoiled, you know, growing up where he did. I mean, he grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, um, you know, going to my grandfather's house. I mean, the guy's got a, you know, a 12 pound, a 12 pound walleye on the wall. So, um, <laughs> of course. Know, yeah, little little bit little bit spoiled, um, but uh, I really didn't get into fishing until uh, after I got home from Iraq in two thousand and four. So that's kind of when I started getting into fishing, and it really didn't get hot and heavy till maybe oh six oh uh, seven. I did a lot of, you know, just like everybody else, I did a lot of bank fishing and surf fishing. And, um, you know, I've since graduated. I own a boat. I've owned actually several boats now. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you buy one, you sell one, that kind of thing. You grow out of one. I think the one I have now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I've graduated. I have a fiberglass boat now. Uh, but uh, it, it much probably i don't know if you, i don't know if we had this conversation but uh i started off fishing the farmington river in connecticut so like yeah. the upper farmington um out in the western part of the state just trout trout fishing um and i remember my brother was really into fishing when we were kids um yeah, he he was fortunate in the sense that when he was a teenager um we had a, a pond on a golf course that he would trespass onto and go fishing on. I never had that, uh, that, that, that same luxury. Cause I was already in high school by the time we moved to this, the last house I lived in with my parents. And, um, uh, he got me into fishing the Farmington and he actually kind of showed me how to bottom bounce in a river. So, uh, you know, as soon as I started bottom bouncing, uh, you know, I would have like these epic 25, 30, can't even count them days. And I thought I was like the, the best thing since sliced bread because I could catch all these fish on the Farmington River. You know, looking back, it's like, yeah, you were just, you know, you're catching these essentially dumbed down stock fish. Yep. <laughs> just murdering them, you know. <laughs> um, and then, you know, moving forward. I got into other things. Uh, I, I ended up moving up to upstate New York. Uh, I did a lot of uh, salmon, and steelhead, and uh, brown trout, big brown trout in the spring. Um, and by that point, I had, you know, owned a boat or two. So um, I really got into musky fishing. Uh, interesting group of people. Um, you know you have a problem when you end up spending, you know, thirty-five to forty dollars on a on a bait that's oh. not even a good bait. You know what I mean? It's like a, <laughs> ah, that's an okay bait. But I mean, like my buddy, I'll, I'll plug this. My buddy Andrew, Andrew's musky baits. 
Uh, I've never actually owned one of his baits because I don't think I, I probably couldn't afford them. But I mean, he makes such nice baits. And for, you know, musky guys are kind of psychotic. I might get like a like a fatwa or something called out of my life for saying this, but uh, you might. Those you, guys you very well might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I was one of them, so. Um, you know, the, the amount of money you can spend on that, on that particular, uh, hobby is it, it, it's astronomical, I think, compared to any other type of fishing out there. I think the only thing that would maybe rival that amount of money spent in fishing is maybe like offshore stuff. And cause you can just go nuts and, and all the money's in the baits and, you know, some of the money's in the rods and reels and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but most of it's in the baits. I mean, but if you've never experienced it, what you have to understand about it is there is nothing more thrilling on the planet, hands down, than having a, you know, 20 or 30 pound fish hit a bait while you're doing a figure eight next to the boat. I mean, that's, there's nothing yeah. else out there that's like that. Because the fish, you got to keep your wits about you because the fish will come out of nowhere and it'll just scare the bejesus out of you. Uh, I remember the first time I had a muskie follow a bait to the boat um, and then just kind of pop up underneath it while I was taking the bait out of the water and he slashed at it. That's when I got on, you know, I think it was, you know, I got on the Internet and, you know, tried to figure out, okay, how, how do you how do you deal with that scenario and then i learned to the you know the whole figure eight thing and you know doing a different pattern circle patterns in the water speeding it up slowing it down and i actually got like halfway decent at you know figure eight and them and stuff but uh there's no better in my opinion there's no more like instant adrenaline rush than than musky fishing and of course i did walleye and um you know, while I was more of like, you know, fishing for flounder here, where it's like I'm just going out and trying to get a meal, you know, uh, while I spun, but it's not musky fun, I'll tell you that. And then, of course, you know, steelhead, as far as, you know, light tackle fishing goes, and I know West Coast guys will be like, that's not steelhead fishing, fishing on the Great Lakes or whatever, but, you know, you hook up on a eight, 10 pound trout and, you know, fight them in a river. I mean, it's, uh, you know, especially in the, in the fall when they're doing acrobatics and, you know, trying yeah. to throw your hook, that's, that's a good time. Um, for sure it is. Yeah. Well, well, let's ask you this then. Now that you've been doing that you've done a lot of fishing in many different places there, what type of fishing do you like to do now? So I, I like doing a lot of, uh, inshore fishing here specifically, um, I, you know, this year is, a. have kind of resolved myself to this. I got to put more triple tail on the boat. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the, it's a meal and it's exciting, uh, because it's not targeting the really big ones. is not easy to do in shore, uh, here. You kind of got to know what you're doing. You got to put in your time, which you know, for me, it was a lot like musky fishing or steelhead fishing. You had to put your time in and, you know, then reap the rewards from it. That's the weird thing about putting the time into is, I mean, everyone is all like, oh, that... let me rephrase that. A lot of people that I've talked to that have mentioned the time thing, they'll, they're either for the, 
they're saying it or they're on the receiving end. And want, you know, some of them are like, oh, I'm just getting haze because I'm the new guy or I'm not getting, you know, they don't respect me. And it's like, no, the, putting your time in just means learning from your mistakes. You know, we're, they're not going to get all the stuff in one sitting. Go put your time in and go find out. Go find out the hard way on a couple of things. Here's some nuggets of knowledge. Now go find out. Well, you know, one of the things I'll say about people in general when you're fishing is there are guys out there and we all know them who will do, we'll, we'll just, they'll, they'll look for information. They want the exact spot, the exact bait, the, you know, the exact time to go target a particular species. And my, my view on that is that if you bring something to the table, I might give you that information. Um, if you don't bring anything to the table, if you're some kind of, I guess, for lack of better words, Guggen, you know, where you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're not recognizing that you're brand new to this and you're not putting the work in, um, I'm probably not gonna, I'm not going to give you the the help that you desire. I'll give you help, but I'm not going to give you the help that you want. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense because that's just what it is. So it's not a bad one there. All right. Now let's go, let's keep going down the, the background and we'll move into the fishing a little bit here. What's your favorite thing about fishing? What's my favorite thing about, well, you know, I, so for me, it's the technical aspect of fishing. It's trying to figure out, you know, not necessarily that I'm catching fish. It's, I'm always learning something in the sense that if I'm not catching fish, there's something to learn there. Okay. What are the, what are the conditions, you know, here, and we'll talk about it later, but there are certain conditions here in Southeast Georgia that just make for better fishing. Um, but my favorite thing is, is trying to figure out why, why are fish in this particular spot right now? You know, what's, what's drawing them there? Is it the structure? Is it the food? Is it some combination? You know, what kind of effect does the current have on that? Cause here that's a big, you know, that's a big, um, a, a big consideration. Yeah, you guys so, have a serious flow of, of water on, on your tides, but also from the out from the the rivers and the the back ones. You guys got a lot of movement. Yeah, and it actually makes Southeast Georgia probably one of the gems in the rough as far as fishing because you can't. We always joke about if a guy from Louisiana, like you know, a guy that fishes. Um, like Southern Louisiana for redfish and whatnot, if they come here, they're going to swing and miss. Uh, And it's not that the fish aren't here. It's just, it's not, you know, it's not Southern Louisiana. Um, You have different, way different uh, uh, conditions to deal with here than you do there. And, you know, I'm going to say this about the Southeast coast of the United States, basically from, you know, uh, what is it, Cape Hatteras or not Cape, like, was it Cape Hatteras, the one that, the yeah. point that sticks out in North Carolina? So Cape Hatteras, the essentially the Cape. Down in Hatteras. Yeah, Cape Hatteras to Cape Canaveral, um, you have, you could go 10 miles along the shore and have a different experience, different conditions. Oh, yeah. Whereas oh, if yeah. you get south of Canaveral, it's like, it's kind of all the same till you get down into the keys and it's good, but it's the conditions you can kind of replicate things, you know? Um, I guess that's the, 
the the beauty about here is it's it's hard it's hard fishing it's not because the fish aren't there it's just we have a particular you know particular conditions like we have we have really dirty water a lot of the time so the challenge for us is finding clean water that's the biggest thing yeah when i, when I was talking to seth about that he he was all about the clean water and then all i could keep him you know bringing back in my mind was it wasn't clean water when i visited y'all <laughs> but it was still really impressive watching so many different things and then learning more about your guys fishery and that whole area i mean it's it's quite the outdoorsman's happy place yeah once you figure it out it's um i mean there's it number one it, it kind of keeps people away from it it keeps the you know this place from becoming uh like south florida where it's just like everybody's fishing you know and you know if, if i'm gonna go anywhere and go to the beach it's not saint simon's or jekyll island i'll tell you that <laughs> uh not that i'm a beach goer at all but i i do i do like the fishing here for sure because of the you know, there's some technical difficulty. There's also some, um, uh, there's a lot of mystery that I like to talk to, you know, provide some good conversation points, talking to your friends that fish. Like, what do they think about it? Um, the whole clean water thing, I didn't come up with that on my own. That was right. uh, somebody had, you know, a charter captain friend of mine had said that, you know, it's all about the clean water. And then I started picking up on that pattern and, um and started being more successful that way so no now uh ladies and gentlemen yes you heard him right he's not much of a beach guy there's a reason he's on the podcast don't freak out <laughs> no he's no gonna... i'll go to the beach and fish trust me right i'm that's not right. going to the beach to go swimming not here that's, what I, I, was, I, I that's that. where i was going with not it. I was it's like... dirty it's just <laughs> I watched yep. Jaws as a kid, and that's the problem, right? That's a fair – hey, I've got no judgment. That's why I was saying, don't worry. He's He still fishes. It's all good. Don't freak out. He still goes. Uh, all right, we're moving down here. We're, uh, we're getting right through it. Uh, what is a bucket list fish that you want to catch someday? Oh, man. Um, I want to get out and catch some mahi it's it's disconcerting that the rods that i build catch fish that i've never actually put hands on before dude so, i never thought uh, of that oh yeah. man yeah like, my rods like have had crazy stuff on yeah wahoo sailfish that all stuff that i've never caught before um wahoo sailfish like one of the ones last year was like strawberry i think it's strawberry groupers i've heard i just heard yeah. about that uh not too long ago from uh Reed the fishmonger, I believe his name is. Uh, African Pompano. Um, that was cool. Yeah. 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 I'm. I'm waiting. I, I want to get a. I want somebody to get a marlin at some point. But I. Um. I, I'd really like to get out and get some some mahi at some point. I, I've had a couple of opportunities, but you know, sometimes the day job gets in the way. Let's put it that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's just how the game gets played. All right. Well, let's ask you the last question here, and then we're going to start moving into the other ones here. What has been one of your very favorite fishing memories? Uh, going to Canada and fishing with my 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 father and my uncles, and uh, 
um, my grandfather, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, we would go to Manitoba, um, every couple of years and, and fish, uh, in, um, I always said that the places we would go in Canada, if you stop the boat, right. And there was no wind, um, the, all I hear would hear was tinnitus, you know, and you ring it in your ears. Uh, and that's how, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we would go way, not, I mean, I guess by Canadian terms, it's not that far North, but it's the place that we would go is about eight hours, eight hours drive North of, uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And, um, just big, big lake chain, lake trout, big Northern pike, big walleye. Um, it's it, the place is literally like, it's like heaven on earth. It's sounds good. Yeah. So that was a fun. So lots of good memories were made on that trip with the family then, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've gone a number of times and every time it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's good. There was one year, uh, I went in 20, I think it was 20, 2014. Um, we couldn't go in the spring because my uncle had passed away. Um, one of my uncles. And then, uh, we ended up going in the fall and there was, uh, I ended up putting five Manitoba trophy Northern Pike in the boat, uh, that, that week. So, wow. you know, fish, fish over 40 inches. So, uh, it was, it was, it was a good, definitely a good trip. So very nice. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a little jelly there. I'd love to go fish up in that area, but this is perfect timing. We're moving into the next section, but before we do that, we can just go ahead and knock this out real fast. I mean, why not? It is the very first bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught some fish by now. Hopefully it's all going great, man. It's just the perfect day. Actually, you probably limited out and you're already in the car 22 minutes into the show. That's what it is. This bait check is being brought to you by the sinker guy. Head on over to the sinkerguy.com and take a look at everything Chip's got going on in the sinker guy garage. Need sinkers? It's in his name. He's got you covered. Different sizes. If you need special orders, reach out to him. He can discuss that uh, option with you. Uh, maybe you need some rigs. He's got you set up. The old Bruno rig been doing a lot of good things but he's also got other rigs in there too if you need tackle supply and any kind of that stuff he's got it in there with a few other things that you might not expect that you might need for fishing go take a look sinkerguy.com get your order in today so now we're moving on to the beach now we're into the old fishing tips tricks and knowledge section all right so how do you plan your fishing trips so if the wet if, so for here in south georgia southeast georgia as long as the wind is not more than 10 knots out of the northeast i'm i'm out fishing so <laughs> that uh, northeast so as long as i'm not yeah as long as i'm not stuck in here doing this stuff uh which sometimes i am but i i, I, I tend to you know i don't care too much about rain or you know because i've had some good days fishing in the rain um but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much that. And then of course, obviously seasonal movements of particular fish. Like, um, I like fishing the beach, um, for uh, trout, um, during particular times of the year. Um, I'll go out, I go down to St. Augustine a couple times a year for work. 
So I'll go down to the pier. Some of you have the, the Volano pier there. I don't know if you've ever been, have you ever been over the Volano pier? No, I've seen it, but I've never been. Tom uh, from Kids Can Fish, they run a surf camp. And actually the surf camp they just ran was over on Volano Beach. In, oh, in okay. So yeah, um, I do some surf fishing over there. Uh, and I'm usually, when I'm out there, and I guess this goes into the next question, how do we select spots? Uh, Hey, really what I'm looking for. I gotta, yeah, I really. Sending, I got to stop sending you guys these questions. That's it. Blind <laughs> shots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I get into, uh, I'm looking at uh, what the, what the waves are doing, right? Cause I'm looking for those, those troughs where those holes are, where those fish don't have to fight so hard to, to get the food. Uh, and then also obviously with the, the currents and the water coming in and going out, um, you know, the, the bait or the, the food tends to, to pool in those particular areas. And it's almost like it's meant to be, but those are the, the washouts and some of the holes. That's the stuff I'm really looking for. So I'll sit on the beach for maybe, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and just watch and see what the, what the surf is doing. And then, you know, especially a lot of times when I'm down there, I'm picking up I'm picking a piece of beach that I've never fished before. So nice. Just go out and see what happens. Well, you talked about how do you select the spot? So you already got that way to go. Nice move in there. How do you set your gear up when you're in the spot? So let's talk about that one. When you motioned, or you motioned huh, words, not good at them. You mentioned the holes, the runouts and stuff like that. So when you've got your spot picked, where are you casting your lines? So I'm going to generally cast past the spot where I want to, where I want to put the bait and then reel it back to where I need it to go. Uh, and then let it set and I'll, I'll set out probably, you know, depending on where I am, maybe two lines, maybe three lines, depending on whether it's legal or not. And then, um, and kind of put them at different areas around that spot that I want to fish and see kind of, see kind of what works. But yeah, playing the zones is always key right there. Uh, with your guys' massive tidal movement, what have you found for you and that area for fishing tides? What do you like? So I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, first hour in, first hour out, and then the opposite. So um, that two-hour window at the top or the bottom of the tides and it depends on the, so if I'm fishing from my boat, it depends on the spot, right? Um, uh, what I found is, you know, fishing some of the drops when meaning like some of the drop offs, uh, near the channels and stuff like that. Uh, when the, when the tides low is productive, uh, cause those fish are just waiting to get back up, you know, essentially get back up to feed on the, uh, on the beds. And then when the water's up, you know, up high, I'm fishing, I'm fishing on structure, essentially. Okay. Um, that could change, you know, spot to spot, essentially. But um, the same is true fishing from the beach. Um, the tides, uh, it's the, you know, that, that two hour sweet spot at the top, at the bottom of the tides. Uh, those are generally, especially if I'm going to hit a new spot, those are, those are generally the, the spots, the, the times where I'm going to hit them for sure. Makes absolute sense. I mean, water movement's huge. Uh, what do you, I mean, so it's, I always love this one for you guys and uh, 
in this area talking about moon phases and the only thing i know about your area is a super moon so i know nothing else about that have you found anything good or bad depending on your moon phase um stay away from them i guess <laughs> uh I, I i tend to you know look i'll go out on a new moon or a full moon but i'm very picky on where i'm gonna go okay um that's just you know because the tide's moving so hard and especially if it's been rainy because of all the runoff and oh, it just yeah. it dirty the water's going to be dirty on a big moon anyways yeah um but there are some spots in in southeast georgia that you can go hit and it'll be um it'll be actually probably not bad and pretty productive uh you know the key there is just the water clarity it's for me it's not necessarily the you know the moon cycle affecting the feeding it's the moon cycle affecting the water clarity affecting fish being able to see what they're eating Makes what i will say is that's different when you're talking about redfish when you're talking <laughs> about redfish you could you know you almost want the 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 moon right the full moon or the new moon because the water's moving and especially bull redfish um they're uh that's some of the best fishing for bull redfish that i've had here is is when you got a moon that's for sure okay. yeah see i i always see the full moon and i'm instantly I have two two thoughts now. I used to only have one. Um, the full moon for us in fishing, we're like, all right, they've been chewing all night, so you better be ready to go first in or first in the thing in the morning or right at the evening because they're not going to be that hungry. And then the other one for us military one is oh, full moon. Yep, highlight level NVG training time. Let's go. We're we're going to be out for hours. So that always screws yeah. with me when I think of full moon. So we talked moon phases. Now, um, you mentioned trout, and, and I skipped a question I forgot to ask you, so I'm going to ask it and then ask this next one. What type of fish do you like to target up there? I like I like a lot of different things. So my passion this year is going to be triple tail for sure. Um, <laughs> right. I I put I put some effort in a, a, a year a year or two ago. Uh, I had some success with it, kind of figured some things out, but, uh, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who, um, uh, Chad Hodges, he, he owns, uh, four leaf fishing charters. So he does a lot of like, he's, his primary thing is flounder, but gigging. Um, so he does a lot of, uh, you know, guiding for that. And, uh, I was talking to him recently, uh, he, uh, I guess triple tail sent him to a dark place at some point. Um, no, that's, yeah, it's all he could think about, you know? <laughs> um, so, oh, no. you know, I, I can understand that because, you know, steelhead sent me to that same place at one point, um, <laughs> when I was learning how to fish for him. So, uh, you know, we both decided that like this year it's going to be, uh, you know, we got to put the time aside and there's a, there's kind of a window to catch them. Um, you know, just putting the time aside and having a backup plan in case, you know, you, you're not going to be able to get into them or they're just not, you know, the conditions aren't right or whatever. But again, the key is getting out there. You don't, you don't know unless you go, I guess. Right. So, yeah. So, so the triple tail go, Joe, uh, triple tail game for you is from the boat. You're not doing that from the beach. 
Yeah. Can you catch them from the beach? You can. I've, seen it. I've heard. Can. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that it's a, a reliable venture. I don't think, you know, you can go out is. to the beach right now on Jekyll Island and go hang out with like Seth, Seth and Kevin Albeck and do some <laughs> shark fishing. There's definitely sharks out there. Yes. Um, you know, trout in certain areas, especially, uh, this is no secret. Uh, you know, the pier behind Jekyll Island, uh, they got a creek there that, that, mm -hmm. that goes out, um, and they have some, you know, pretty decent trout days there, but, um, you know, up on the surf side, obviously our big thing out there is, is when the bull redfish runs. So, right. um, you know, obviously you, you've experienced that. No, I haven't. I caught the baby. I've never caught, I haven't caught the bull red. Remember I, I got the tiny. I am the king of the smalls. Don't take that from me, sir. <laughs> well, you, you got something out of it, buddy. You know? I did. That was a lot of fun. I mean, granted, a lot of people will make, you know, oh, wow, you got the smallest fish. No, I'm going to run that like I just won the lottery. I am going to, no, I am piping this up forever. So that was a lot of fun. Well, all right, so you're going after triple tail. And like you said, you don't have the beaches there. So with those ones. Um, you mentioned from the beach, but let's back up this one. Uh, what type of rigs do you normally use when you're fishing at the beach? So I'll use a dropper, like a dropper loop rig. Uh, usually I'll do like a single. Um, you know, I found that like the doubles are cool, but, uh, you know, if I'm going scouting, I don't want, you know, I'm not going to need more than one hook, essentially. Yep. Uh, if I was going to go to an area that I knew real well and I knew that if I wanted to say, bring uh you know put some food on the table or something then i would probably but usually i'll go out there i'll tie up to like a single dropper loop rig maybe on a you know piece of uh 60 pound fluoro um and throw a you know a k hook on there or something with uh you know whatever the whatever the bait like the last time i was in saint augustine i was using just you know dead dead shrimp yeah um, kind of the i guess the veritable catch-all bait is dead shrimp and then usually what I do is I'll throw some, um, like a fish bite strip. I'll cut a fish bite strip and just to keep that, you know, cause shrimp will just fall off. But, uh, uh, that, and, um, so I'll, I usually have like a 12 or an 18 inch, uh, you know, lead off of that dropper, uh, down to, uh, it's I'll plug the sinker guy. I've been using his, uh, his, his Sputniks, man. They're good. They are. <laughs> I love his stuff, <laughs> but a good plug. Usually, yeah. Usually, uh, you know, in most places that I go, especially down in St. Augustine, most of the places that I go is like, uh, like four ounce usually does it for me. Um, you know, on bigger moons or like you're getting close to the full moon or close to the new moon, you might have to bump it up to six, uh, in the area that I fish at least, uh, um, Usually when I'm fishing like the Volano Pier or something, I'll I'll stick four ounces just enough for me. Uh, yeah. I likely could downgrade, go a little bit lighter at the pier, but it just depends on the day. Makes sense. Well, all right, so you nailed on this one. So let's get into the uh, traveling a little bit here. What do you do when you want to go fishing in a new place? Google Earth. I'll look at Google Earth and Navionics. one. That's, that's what I look at. Um, the rest of it, frankly, um, you know, obviously do a little bit of research on the internet, kind of figure out what, 
what's there. The other thing too is there's value in this, but you got to be able to have your wits about you when you walk into a tackle shop. Um, yeah, I'll go into a tackle shop and I'll kind of I'll ask some strategic questions and see what the answers are going to be. Um, you know, I'm not going to ask them like what's biting, right? Because when you say what's no, I'm dead serious. When you say what's biting, um, the first thing that comes to mind, especially the nefarious bait shop owner's mind, is I could sell this guy anything right now. That's why I'm laughing because uh, it's that setup. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's uh, so Latin terms, right? Like caveat emptor and caveat venditor, right? So may the buyer beware, may the may the seller beware. I want the seller to beware. Right. That's what I want when I walk into a tackle shop. Now, there are like places that I that I trust, like um, um, there's a guy down in St. Augustine, um, uh, St. Augustine Paddle Sports. I've been in his shop a couple times and he seems to be like to me, a straight shooter. Um, uh, here in Brunswick, there's really not much as far as tackle shops go. So you're really stuck with Academy. But when I go to a new spot, I'm definitely going to go to this tackle shop, but I'm going to be prepared with, you know, specific questions so I don't get sold a bunch of stuff that I don't need. Right. Right. Makes sense. So how do you adjust your tactics for fishing when the bite is just not on fire? Am I still catching fish, Brian? Is that it? Ooh. See, normally when it's not on fire, I always go back to that nothing is happening at all. So I'm going to I'm gonna throw it into the ugly one. You're not catching right now. You're not catching. But you plan to get out there and go get some. A couple of theories, and it, and it depends on... So with the surf, right? With the surf specifically, you could have... You know, if you've got a falling tide or a rising tide, those conditions are changing by the minute, yeah. right? The thing that used to be the washout isn't a washout anymore. It's just water, right? So there's no reason for those fish to hang out there. And, you know, the hole you were fishing is still a hole, but it's a much deeper hole and those fish have moved out because, the you know, the food's not there anymore um, or the trough or whatever you want to call it. So with, with, with surf fishing, um, I tend to move around a little bit more uh, and 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 kind of eyeball the current conditions uh with fishing from a boat uh it and again it depends on what i'm fishing for um there are some instances where i know they're going to be back around it's just a matter of time and that's just based yeah. on experience especially with bull redfish they're gonna you know there's certain spots where you can go and you can you know you could lay a bait down and nothing will happen for an hour and then all of a sudden you know, you've got your doubling up, tripling up on the boat and, you know, um, it gets crazy. So with it, it depends on the type of fishing with the beach. I'm going to move around a little bit more only because, you know, the dynamics on the beach are constantly changing. Um, but for those same reasons, I mean, you could have the tactic that it's like, well, I'll stay. That might work. But the, the way I deal with it is I'll, I'll start moving and looking for some of those those telltale areas when you're looking and you're reading the water, you can find where the where the where the fish are most likely to be. Makes sense. All right. Well, walk us through the seasons uh, over there. 
bring us through the seasons and what fishing's like through them for you. Uh, so in the spring, we have, you know, we're coming out of we're coming out of the winter time. So usually, what I'm doing is I'm transitioning. Uh, I like fishing some of the the trout spawn, um, that kind of area. So it's they're on, on up on some of the beaches here. You'll have the trout will come up pretty close to the beach. So I like fishing that. I like fishing it from the shore and I also like fishing it from a boat. So um, that's usually pretty good. And then, you know, spring fishing uh, in this into the summer, I'm getting more into um, I'll fish for sharks a couple of times in the summer. Um, just it's usually when family's down and they want to do something. Um, Sometimes I'm fishing. Some people like yeah. to catch the biggest. Yeah, I mean, and sharks are fun, I guess. Uh, if you if they if you haven't had one try to eat your boat, um, you know they're they're actually uh, yes. fun. <laughs> yeah. And not I'm, big I'm enough. I'm guessing this has happened. Yeah, not big enough to like actually eat the boat, but big enough that you know it. There are still scars on my fiberglass or my gel coat from where the thing tried to, you know, eat part of my boat, like eat the gunnel, like, ah, you know, yeah, ah. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, um, but uh, uh, summer for me is uh, for inshore fishing is a lot of trout, I would say. Uh, I like targeting trout in the summer. Uh, it, going into the fall, that's when I'm kind of transitioning um, uh, into, again, more trout. More In the fall, I'm more into the flounder uh, and, and kind of trying to pick up either flounder from the beach or flounder uh, flounder from the boat. Mostly, mostly from the boat in the fall, for sure. Um, into the winter, the winter actually, for me, is probably some of the most exciting months here in in southeast georgia um it, it gets i guess cold by georgia standards and uh, you get a lot of species like uh sheephead you know if you're going to target them from a boat you get a lot of and you can target sheephead from the shore like there's a uh the pier up on jekyll island has a spot on the north end of the pier i mean i'll throw it out there uh, there's some rocks over there, and if you hit it right, you can pick up sheephead. Um, there's some rocks on the north. Uh, there's like a northern arm of that pier. I'll tell you exactly where it is, but uh, you'll have to figure it out. <laughs> it won't be hard to figure out, it sounds like. No, 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 it's not hard. But there's definitely sheephead there for sure. Um, there's uh, the wintertime. Again, the wintertime for me is probably the best time because it there's a lot more i think species especially at the beginning of the winter you know there's a point like in the dead of winter where it's it's dead for like two or three weeks that's my experience so i have i have a a, a pattern that i live by i get skunked once a year and it's been that way since probably knock on wood it's yeah. been that way since <laughs> It's been that way since about probably 2012, where I get skunked once a year, and it's almost always in the wintertime. 
here. Uh, when I was in New York and uh, I'd get skunked opening day. I mean, that's just the rule. I mean, you probably know, like growing up in Connecticut, you just, you get skunked and I get skunked opening day every, every single year. Uh, but here I get skunked once and it's usually in the dead of winter. But then once I get past that, you know, my next trip is usually like, it's either okay, decent, or it's like gangbusters. So oh boy. I know Tom and I have had some pretty, pretty crazy days fishing in the wintertime. So, uh, Tom Lewis, uh, from kids can't fish. We're out there killing it. It sounds like fun. Well, there you go, people. Now you know the seasons for that area. So, all right, now is going to be the fun one. We've finished up that section uh, before we can move to the next one. Obviously, we got to do a bait check here. But uh, next section, we're going to be talking about actually Brian's little uh, garage action you're seeing in his office there. We're going to be talking about that. It is your second bait check of the episode. So hopefully you've got a bunch of fish. That'd be awesome. Reel that line back in. Make sure you're good. If you need a rebate, set it up. If you haven't caught anything yet, switch it up to something else. Change it up the pattern a little bit. Help yourself out. This bait check is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. And over to ninjatackleva.com. And, oh, I don't know, fall in love, if you will, with all the fun stuff that you can get your hands on there through Matt. They've got rods from 7 foot to 12 foot. Uh, he has Akios on there, Akios reels as well. If you're into the spin or conventional style, I still can't cast them. I bird's nested every single time. It doesn't matter what I do. It's always a mess. I'm not very good at that. Or if you need to get your hands on rigs, he's got them in there. You can also, if you're into firearms or any kind of firearm accessories, he's got Ninja Tactical. That's also through NinjaTackleVA.com. You can pick up a lot of really cool stuff in there. And if you have questions, always reach out to Matt. He's always very responsive. All right, so let's talk about Bandit Custom Rods. This is the fun stuff here. All right, what made you want to get into making rods? So I had a a friend of mine. He he actually moved from, I knew him when I was living in Connecticut. I was going to college uh, in between stints on active duty and uh, in the military and uh I, uh, I ran into him, kind of hung out with him a little bit, and then he took off, uh, you know, at the time, I think he was working for like the FAA or something as an air traffic controller. Well, he took off and went down to South Florida. Uh, what I didn't know when he was living in Connecticut was he, uh, he served in the Navy and he got in a, like a kind of a bad accident and, um, a guy uh at bethesda actually was there like just teaching people how to build rods and he was the only one that was interested in it so he started learning from him and then when he moved to i think he lived down at like fort myers or something uh he started a business down there um a rod building business you know on top of doing the the air traffic control thing full time and uh, one day he called me up and he was like, Hey man, I see you're, uh, I used to guide when I was in New York part-time. Um, uh, we, we could, we could talk about that, but, uh, kids, if you want to be a charter captain someday, like just be prepared. I decided that guiding is fun and it's cool, <laughs> but listen, it's the, the amount of 
it's not worth the you know whatever money you make it's you're not you're not going to make that much um it gets reinvested you got, <laughs> yeah you, you you have uh you know the guys that i know here are are making money but they've also put a lot of like it's it's not just the fact that you're good at fishing you know you got to be a get a good customer service um me you know my customer service was okay uh you know i did uh i did a little bit of guiding up there and uh you know got my guides license and all that stuff and, um more or less it, it's a it wasn't worth the headache especially where i was guiding uh because you're you're competing against all these other guys and they're they're not the nicest people in the world and uh the amount of stress like i didn't have to put i didn't have to catch fish to put food on the table put it that way that's good um, so uh so i just kind of left it left it to them uh and you know, i did it for a couple of years and it was it was okay but whatever um so dan calls me up and he's like hey i see you're guiding and you know why don't you build your own fishing rods and i was like oh, man come on like it's uh i guess that sounds cool but you know it sounds expensive and i started doing the research and essentially came to the conclusion that yes it is expensive but you get to build what you want and at that yeah. point i really started getting hot and heavy into musky fishing and anybody that's done that before knows that um you know when you're tossing a six or an eight ounce bait a thousand times in a day uh it matters what rod you're using for sure and so i kind of started off there started building my own rods and it was more about the the rod itself and what i was going to do with it than the actual art of it um so that's kind of how i started out so i wanted to know okay so what's the you know what's the best what are the best guides what's the best guide spacing what's you know like what handle what should my rear handle length be because that's a big you know concern um you know what kind of components do i use do i use graphite do i use aluminum do i use you know and then you you know i've developed a lot of theories over the years building rods um like you'll hear guys out there that'll talk about um like the balance of the rod like they'll balance they're, they'll be in the store balancing the rod listen unless you're a professional bass fisherman like that doesn't that doesn't matter right it you know you casting all day like once a weekend is that's not gonna tire you out that extra quarter of an ounce on the tip that makes the the rod tip just fall just a little bit you know um but you'll see these guys like trying to find out where the balance point on the rod is like that's a big consideration uh i would say unless you're doing it day in day out professionally it's not really a thing that you should concern yourself with you waste a lot of time at bait shops trying to find balance points on rods that's just my two cents about it but it's things like that you know where i'm trying to figure out i'm trying to dissect what it is to make a rod that does a particular job right okay uh, I mean, most people start off when they go to the they go to the store they go down to academy they go to you know strike zone down in jacksonville they go to wherever whatever your favorite tackle shop is and they you know they they want to they want the rod that does everything 
And there is no Don't good. we all? Yeah. <laughs> we don't have the technology. So Not yet. We're not there yet. Not yet. Yeah. I'm in trouble if we get that technology, by the way. Because that's <laughs> kind of my business model. Oh, <laughs> uh, that yeah, that definitely fits in the model of No, I need it to be this. That makes that Okay, so your friend got you into it and you started and then you started on the musky side and then did it do any kind of other changing from there or what, what made the evolution? Yeah, I mean, you know, it got into, you know, walleye and bass and I was designing uh, rods specifically for particular kinds of baits. Like I designed a, a, a rod for literally just fishing big spinner baits and spoons for uh, Northern Pike and muskies. That's all this rod right. was ever designed to do. Um, and it had everything to do with the, you know, the, what type of guides I put on there. Um, because you, if you're anybody who's spinnerbait fished before, if your rod is too heavy, um, what ends up happening is you don't know when you have weeds on your blades and when you got weeds on your blades, you're not catching fish. Because that blade's what's bringing that fish in, right? It's what's attracting that bass or that pike or you know whatever it is. Um, so I designed a rod that was sensitive enough to feel those big blades moving in the water, and we're talking like ounce to two ounce, like big you know uh, spinner baits, and then you know spoons. Uh, that so is like so big, cool. Yeah, so something that'll that's strong enough and it's got enough backbone to, you know, essentially put the boots to a, a big fish and it's sensitive enough at the tip and, and, and you can get a sense real quick when you're reeling in, if you've got a, you know, lure full of weeds so that way you can get it back to the boat faster, get it cleaned up and then send it again. So just, I guess an example of kind of how I, that's how I take my approach to building rods um it's it's more or less okay what do you want it to do at the end of the day what do you want that rod to do specifically what are you targeting um you know with the offshore game it's a little bit different because you know that's more of a uh, there's basically three or four different kinds of rods out there that you can use to fish offshore i mean you've got your like you know your your big rods for like you know your tuna uh, that's like kind of one class, you know, tuna, sailfish, you know, and there's there's little intricacies in there. But, uh, um, you know, for the most part, you can go offshore with a 40 pound line class rod, um, you know, with a 6000 size reel and jig fish up off the bottom. Um, it, except when you get into the more specialty stuff like slow pitch jigging and, and things of that nature. And then even with, you know, surf rods, like the surf rods that I've built over the years, I've built everything from, uh, you know, 13 foot shark catching 13 ounce lure weight, like 14 ounce or 16, I think 16 ounce lure Holy weight. crap, guys. dude. Oh, yeah, huge. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then getting into like, like, I don't do as much surf fishing as you guys do, but uh one of my favorite builds that I did was for a Navy kid who's out of, he's not a chemist, he's a 20 something year old man, but he's out of uh, St. Mary's. Um, I did a build for him uh, 
and I had never heard of this before. It's a South African style surf rod. Are you familiar with, have you ever heard of that? Um, so when I interviewed Sean Meyer, uh, out of South Africa, I, I didn't even talk to him about it, but then I started noticing his rods are different uh, in oh, those yeah. pictures. They look different than ours. So, and I, I, I'm not totally educated on the history of it or whatever, but it's my understanding it, it started off actually in the country next door. So I think it's called Namibia. Uh, it's the country that's just to the west um, along the, you know, the, the western coast of Africa um, that they started using or having these rods built that had... So like normally with a surf rod, you've got like some honking back end of the thing, right? So like a 18 to 24 inch butt on the thing, right? Or even yeah. bigger than that. Uh, with South African style, you're talking about like kind of generally speaking, if you're going to throw in a ballpark, it's like 10, like a 10 or a 12 inch rear grip. Yeah. And the way they cat, though, if you've ever watched it, you got to go on YouTube and watch it. The way they cast those rods is kind of, it's, it's, it's just different. But that that technique made it to uh, somewhere in Southern California, and someone started building those rods in Southern California, or you know, some custom rod builder started. And, uh, uh, this Navy kid, uh, his name's Nick. He went, he was stationed out there, and this guy he paid for a guided trip from this guy that uh, that fished with those rods and kind of fell in love with them and. Uh, I, the advantage is that when you're shark fishing, you know, most of the guys here are going to be using like a, a conventional. And if they get it from me, it's usually acid wrapped, meaning it's a spiral wrap. So instead of having all the guides on the top of the blank, it spirals. It puts the line on the bottom. So you have more kind of control over the fish. It makes it it turns it more into, into a spinning rod, even though you still have a con conventional reel. Um but most of those guys are fishing, you know, unibuts, uh, big aluminum butts with the the honking thousand dollar crazy reels and stuff. And uh, I still got to get out there with Seth. I know you had Seth on. I got to get out there with Seth and Kevin and and do do some of that. I'm 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 really curious uh, uh, how that goes, uh, how those guys all do it. Because all I see are like drones and kayaking and. Uh, those guys are, they're, they're nuts for sure. Um, I forget. I don't know if it was Seth. I think it was, I think it was the first time I met Seth and I might have this wrong. Uh, he came, he came to the shop and he had some like gnarly, like wound on his leg. Oh, <laughs> and I remember looking at it and I'm like, what the heck is going on with your leg, man? And he said, uh, he's like, oh, I got, uh, I got, he got like tail flapped by a shark right oh. So, oh yeah you got that like uh that that's uh sun paper sandpaper. the sandpaper yes. thing going on and then yep. he ended up in the hospital yep. like that's the event that my, you know my wife would probably be like you're done you know you're, you're not, <laughs> she you're not might. doing this anymore yeah <laughs> um but anyways to, to 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 round out the whole south african style <laughs> okay if you're gonna if you're gonna fish for big sharks with a spinning rod um, one of the hard things that you're going to run into is being able to get to be able to, to plant yourself to fight that fish, right? Because those guys that are fishing those big, 
conventional outfits, you know, they're, they're sitting in a harness and they're reeling down when you have a honking, you know, two foot rear, you know, rear grip on a surf rod, you got to be up here and reeling down. What that does is it puts it down closer to where, you, you know, you as a human being, kind of your best leverage points right about right. here as yep. far as rods go. So it makes total sense, but the casting is something that you have to, that you have to get used to. It's almost like, you know, I'll probably upset some people, but it's almost like learning how to fly fish. Some guys out there are like, it's not like learning how to fly fish. It's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> but you get the idea, right? Um, right. It's uh, it's just a different way of doing things. Um, uh, so, just you know, some of the things that South African stuff though, it's is kind of fascinating, especially how they build rods in in other countries. Uh, I follow a couple guys, I think, on Instagram, just looking at kind of the, some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, I think what what's what's cool about the technology we have now, especially with you know rod building. Um, you know, I don't have to read about something in Rodmaker magazine that I subscribe to, you know, uh, I could right. just find it on YouTube and go, oh, that's cool. That's a cool technique. I think I'll, I'll try that. Well, that's cool that you've done that. I mean, playing with different styles and I mean, not a lot of, I'd say not a lot of our fellow anglers would be like very comfortable to switch up butts into that different style, especially a different type of rod. Cause it is different casting, but, uh, down there for you know, wherever people are once they start something they fall in love with it they have a tendency to just stay with it so i totally understand that um before we move on let's knock out our last bait check of the episode because i know we got more to talk about rods oh we do well that's it this is your third and final bait check of the episode hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish that's that's what we want, man. Catch the fish after an hour, limited out. Isn't that like the ultimate goal in out and done? Unless you need a day at the beach, in which case I totally understand. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. DSCustomTackle.com has you completely covered for all of your rig making and let's see. Oh, I don't know, supplying needs. That's right, they got you covered. Beads, floats, terminal tackle, lots of great stuff in there. Jigs, they have those in there. Teasers, lots of different pieces that you can get your hands on. So again, go on over to dscustomtackle.com, take a look at everything, get yourself a great order, build your next set of rigs. Nothing wrong. You're going to catch fish. It's a win. So we've started talking about these rods and you've definitely on those. Now let's talk about your rods that I mean, we got a bunch we can look at, obviously, and I know you do a lot with charity with the Kids Can Fish. You've been a very well-known, and I know, I believe Caroline has a specific rod series, if I'm not mistaken, which I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Anyway, um, let's talk about them, man. Show me some of your rods. Yeah, so the one that's, uh, you know, the one that's on the bench right now is actually for Sammy, uh, Seth's son. Um, this is a... Uh, uh, it's an eight foot 10, uh, the company, the, the blank manufacturers, they're called, uh, bats and enterprises. They, they own a line called rain shadow. Um, I'm a, they're out of Washington state. I'm a big, uh, I, I like, I like building on rain shadow. There's a couple of different brands out there that I like building on this one. This particular one's a rain shadow. Um, the other brand that I like building on is, uh, American tackle. Uh, they're out of, uh, uh, Orlando or Oviedo, I think is the name of the town in Florida. I think it is Oviedo. Orlando. Yeah. Um, 
they're actually so if you're familiar with mud hole custom tackle so if you're going to start rod building yourself you're probably going to end up in one of two places right that you can buy from it's either get bit uh, outdoors which they're out of somewhere in florida and then uh, mud hole which is in Oviedo. but american tackle is actually like physically next door to uh to uh mud hole um but i like building on on mostly rain shadow and american tackle stuff i built on a number of different brands um it's you know i like the fact that american tackle and and Batson have such a kind of wide range of, of different blanks that I can choose from. And I kind of know when I'm buying them, I know what the quality is going to be like. Whereas if I go to say mud hole and I pick out like a blank that I know the name brand of, but I've never built on it before. I'm not really sure what it's going to do. Right. Um, and it's, it's easier for me as a, you know, as a manufacturer to, be able to reach out and poke somebody in the eye if you know so i have a sales guy at, at batson and i have a sales guy at uh, at american tackle um so if something goes wrong and very rarely does it go wrong but i have somebody i can go hey man this thing's not right and in both companies have made you know they've made it right every single time i've had an issue so uh and then of course like I've fished these particular blanks for, for years. Um, my, uh, my good friend, Kevin Desern from Georgia saltwater adventures. He's a charter captain here. He, um, he fishes a lot of my stuff for like bull redfish and, and things of that nature. And that's kind of my soundboard because a lot of those charter captains, I've got two pro staff guys. I got Kevin and then I got, uh, Chad Hodges from, um, four leaf charter fishing those guys are kind of like my soundboard you know uh they do obviously do a lot of fishing because that's what they do professionally and um you know me i can get i, I can get out there on the weekends and you know try them out uh but really what i'm looking for is something that's gonna perform the way that it should perform and um you know that the quality the the, the durability is there i don't want to make something that I even say it if you go to my website, bandacustomrods.com, I say I don't want to see this rod again. So when I build <laughs> it, I don't want to see it again. Um, of course, I got a warranty, but I, when I build them, I want them to go out the door with right. the idea that I don't ever see them again. Um, unless you want to buy another one, uh, which I'm fine <laughs> with that too. There is always that. Well, the, yeah. the uh, it, I met American Tackle at ICAST last year, and it's kind of weird that we're talking about this now because I've learned a little bit about rod making through the podcast. Um, I've learned a little bit from you when we were talking face-to-face, and when you mentioned American Tackle and you were talking about the whole thing, all I could see was the rack of blanks and the different sizes, and there was a, it was like a, there was a blank for everything. But the way that the team talked about all their equipment, talked about how they do their ordering, how they support staff, you know, or support the the rod makers and stuff like that and the small businesses it just made it even more of a damn these guys are really actually really great people um i never realized how much work that you know went into making a custom rod like that on the behind the scenes if you will with you know supply to end consumer yeah i mean you know those guys uh no matter what you know what manufacturer you're going with um 
it's, you know, there's a gajillion different blanks out there. There's a gajillion different, you know, components. One thing I will say, if you're going to get into rod building, don't buy stuff off eBay and Amazon unless it's an OEM thing <laughs> that you're going to buy. Because I've ran into that uh, a couple times. I, You know, early on, I learned my lesson about buying that stuff. Like, yeah, it's cheap. Well, it's cheap for a reason. You know? yeah. um, <laughs> Not always good. And then you get the guys who are like, oh, it's just as good. No, 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 it's not. Uh, you know, it might last a little while, but it's going to, you know, likely going to fail you. Uh, and you don't want, I mean, the last thing as a fisherman you want is is busted gear at the wrong time. You know, I mean, busted gear is part of the, the game. If you're playing the game, you're breaking stuff. It just yeah. it is what it is. Uh, I'm fortunate in the sense that if I break something, I'm the guy that just fixes it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, American tackles, uh, you know, those guys are solid. Um, you know, rain shadow bats and enterprises are solid. You know, I'm mentioning two competitors right now. So, but I, I, you know, they're, they're both great companies. And, you know, I think as far as the, the, the blanks are concerned, they're some of my favorites. Um, I will say like, there are other blanks out there that I've used, um, that I'm kind of subjective on, uh, and I won't call them out necessarily, but, uh, uh, you know, there's some name brands out there that I'm kind of like, this works well, this blank line that they have works really well for this, but I won't buy anything else because when you get into graphite blanks, uh, there's different, what they call, you know, modulus, and it has to do with the strain of the graphite and stuff like that. Um, I'm not a scientist, but what I do know about it is that the higher the strain, um, the more likely you're going to run into a scenario where that thing's going to snap. Um, if you don't fish it correctly, right. And it also comes down to building it correctly. Um, but there are better high modulus blanks out there than 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 others i'll say that um that there's ones that are more durable i would say um and one of the questions that i ask my customers you know when they, is how hard are you on gear um be, and that's you know, a I, good question too to ask well the last thing you want is me to build some like you know ferrari uh yeah. of a rod and you end up going mudding with it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and then Can't you go, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's broken. It's like, well, yeah, because. Yeah, you, what did you think was going to happen? You don't, you, you don't. Uh, with the Ferrari. Yeah, you don't do the Jeep trail in the Ferrari. That's never a recommendation for good things to end. But we, I mean, the thing is, is if you say I'm hard on gear, we can take, we can, we can tweak that. We can figure it out, you know? Um, there's ways, there's different, you know, uh, there's different types of rods out there. There's, you know, some composite stuff out there that's really cool. That's a little bit more, you know, durable. Um, there's, you know, we could go straight glass, you know, E-glass, S-glass, stuff like that. And, you know, kind of tailor the, the fact that you're hard on gear to, uh, you know, a, a custom configuration that's going to help you to catch more fish because at the end of the day that's what it's all about for me you know the art's cool you know i got this like uh mahi custom painted i custom paint rods mahi custom painted rod 
But at the end of the day, for me, all that matters is does this thing is this thing going to do for you know Seth and Sammy what I and you know what we planned on it doing, and I'm supremely confident because this is the same one that I fish uh, when there I'm up here. But uh, that's all really I'm concerned about the art and stuff like that's kind of secondary to the whole thing. I want something that that you can that you're gonna love. You're gonna love the way it looks. You're gonna love the way it casts. You're gonna love the way it catches fish. Um, you know, and a lot of it comes down to the blank choosing that blank. See, and I just learned about that recently. If you want to drive yourself? Oh, we must have had a delay. I apologize. I stepped on you there. I apologize. Go ahead. You're no, you're good, man. You're good. Go that ahead. delay was longer. That delay was longer than what we had before. I apologize. Yep. All right. Well, there's no editing on this kind of video, so sorry. Y'all get to see what it's really like. Welcome to it. <laughs> um, we'll ask you the last two questions here. We'll do the first one and uh, for the rod making, then we'll go into the closing side here. What is the advantage of a custom rod? Now, you to me have already kind of answered this by saying you're getting the rod that you're trying to fish for. You know, you you brought that up, especially when you're talking about the hard side of hey, if you're hard on gear, just tell me all good but the other thing that i'm guessing here and i'll not try to put words in your mouth i'm just kind of preloading myself here to make sure that I'm, my brain's right you're going to be able to get what you want to happen but sometimes you don't know what you want i'm guessing and i'm wondering do you run into that a lot all the time um <laughs> so i i actually uh kind of I respectfully turn people away sometimes where I'm like, listen, you got to, if you're going to invest the money in a custom rod, um, I want you to put some thought into it and we can work together, right? Uh, sitting down and kind of figuring out, okay, what are you looking to target with this? What, uh, you know, if we're talking about like, you know, fish in the surf, length of a surf rod is, is, is very important depending on what you're going to do a lure weight, you know, bait, you know, because that, that affects castability. Um, you know, what weights are you tossing? What, uh, you know, what kind of fish are you targeting? Obviously if you're targeting, you know, 800 pound hammerhead off the beach, uh, <laughs> that's going to be a very different setup than if you're, yeah. you know, fishing, you know, if you're fishing Pompano down, you know, down in, you know, North Florida, uh, when they're running, uh, it's, it's a different, got different applications even when you get a like bowl redfish right so like tom has his particular flavor of, of of surf rod blanks that he really likes that we built for you know that i built for caroline and and i'm actually getting ready to build uh their some of their their surf camp rods uh for when they do uh surf camps and those are all going to be team rain shadow bats and enterprises ones um but those you know with with rod blanks it's um with any kind of fishing right you get ex you're going to get exactly what you want but you got to know what you want first uh so i'm not i'm not poo-pooing the guy who just you know fishes the pier we have rods for that right uh it's just knowing you got to know your craft right so if you're going to really get serious in the fishing and spend the money on a custom rod got to kind of know what you're what you're what you want essentially and that makes a lot of sense what is a common misconception about custom rods that they're really expensive 
<laughs> it's that's actually a misconception, right? Um, they're not. So I, and, and this is subjective to the type of blank, you know, the, the type of rods in a building. When you get into surf rods, you're talking a little bit more money. Um, when you're talking about like inshore rods, uh, even some offshore stuff, because when you're talking offshore rods, you're talking e-glass blanks and e-glass blanks aren't that expensive. But then you have other component costs, like especially if you want roller guides, like roller guides ain't cheap, right? Um, uh, but for your standard like inshore, even like light surf rod, it's really, um, I like to say to people, um, I have, and I'm, you name like the, the I'm going to throw G Loomis out there, right? Because people always say, oh, the quality of G Loomis. So you're going to get better quality with me and a better warranty with me than if you go with one of these major rod manufacturers. Uh, number one, you're going to get a rod that you that looks like you want it to look, or it's some type of there's some type of art on there, right? Um, and uh, you're going to get that same, if not better, level of quality because rod manufacturers, you got to one one thing people have to understand about them is they're in the business of obviously cranking out as many rods as they can at a certain level of quality right uh so uh what you get with me it just as an example is uh i at minimum do two layers of or two coats of epoxy on the guides so i do a coat to soak the threads and really get that guide kind of cinched down and then i do a coat which is more of like the aesthetic coat where you get that kind of you know that sheen over the top whereas if you went down the and and if you want to drive yourself completely nuts uh, oh, no. <laughs> you get yourself a uh a guide alignment tool like this and you go down to your sporting goods store they'll probably kick you out for doing this <laughs> and you put the guide alignment tool in the real seat and you look and you see how bad those guides are jacked up it will drive you nuts and what i tell people is you know because you'll see guys and you know, i've observed this human behavior at places like walmart and academy and stuff they'll pick a rod up and they'll start whipping it around right they'll do the whole like because they're concerned about the action right the action's only like half the game right the other half the game is getting the bait where it needs to go yep right so the biggest thing that's going to slow you down as far as casting is whether those guides are aligned correctly right and no yep. one ever looks at that right i mean there i'm sure there's guys out there weirdos like me that'll go look you know me i don't go buy rods anymore so i'll go to academy just to get a feel of what like a company like lubes what their quality looks like and i'm not saying their quality is bad but i'll pick one of their rods up and i'll like i'll look down the barrel on it and see you know what what type of guide configuration they use and are they using match style are they using concept you know uh just different types of styles of how you set up guides and um i'll look at their guide alignment and i'll be able to tell like what would i buy this rod if i was you know if i didn't build them and um you'll what you'll find is uh you know i'm just spitballing this right uh i bet you half the rods that you pick up off the rack the guides aren't lined up right 
and you never nobody ever pays attention to it. And that's the other half of the game, right? It's like the action of the rod because you want it to do what you want it to do, but those guides, because that's the one thing that's going to affect your castability is whether those guides are lined up correctly or not. Yeah, because that's where all your, I mean, that's a big chunk of your drag is on that launch is, you know, the braid running through it. That's resistance. It's not just air. Yeah, having that in the line would be good. I mean, granted, it's cool seeing those guys that do the corkscrew on the way out, but I don't want to cast that. That just that just doesn't sound like fun. So, but great points what, on that. Which which guides? Are, which guides are you talking about? So I saw one not too long ago where the first guide was in a standard position on the bottom, then the next uh, one twisted, the next one twisted. The guy. Oh, you're talking about uh, yeah, acid rest. So yeah, um, yeah. The that's how I do conventionals, and and most of the time, like I've got a charter captain who's got a uh, uh, Josh Cook. He's got a, a set of bull redfish rods. And he he doesn't have any problem casting them. Um, really? They so that, cast just yeah, they cast just like any other conventional. The problem is, is it's a conventional, right? That, okay, so but if it's yeah. yeah conventional, you don't have the you got to worry about the whip. You're mm-hmm. you're straight lining out, so mm-hmm. makes sense there. But yeah, those were always cool, and I was like, I could never cast that. It would be a ten yards out. It would just be a mess. But because I'm, I'm yeah. a spinner, not a conventional. I but, wish I had. Um, literally, one just left my shop today. So hey, I, good job. If 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 you want to know about what what I'm talking about with the spiral, the spiral wrap, acid wrap, um, the reason why you can't buy them is because they're not easy to make. So, like as far as like going down to a tackle shop and looking for a spiral wrap or an acid wrap rod, you're gonna have a hard time finding one, and it's usually gonna be a small batch shop or a custom shop that does it that does it for you. There is a company now, and I forget the name of it, but they make bass rods that are spiral, uh, spiral wrapped or uh, acid wrapped. Mm. So, All I got to uh, remember, it's it's acid wrapped, not spiral. I will remember, I promise. No, no, no. It's both. It's both. So oh, okay. uh, it's also called the Roberts wrap. There's a number of different um, names for it. The acid wrap is my favorite because as the legend goes, the guy who invented it uh allegedly was high on acid when he came up with it. So of course he was. Of course he was. <laughs> now, who comes up with ideas like that sober? I don't know. Apparently but. not. I mean, that's a whole different podcast episode right there. You want to go down that route. All right. Well, let's get you into the last set of questions here and get you away for the night. Cause I was already late calling you and I feel horrible about it still. It sucks. It's I was, UA. Time, I should man. be burned. I'm glad you're here, man. I love seeing you again. I can't wait to come back and, uh, I know I'll see you when we get up to Georgia, but I'm excited to see you again. I really am. What knowledge would you give to a brand new angler starting out in this game? Your best bet is is your work ethic coupled with a, a good human source network. And human source network meaning like people that you, uh, it's friends that you fish with. Um that's that at the end of the day, that's what, that's what it's really, it's really all about. Like my best, some of my best days were fishing with either family or friends. Um, you know, have I had epic days by myself? Sure. But it's always good to have somebody with you. Um, and then also putting in the work, uh, there's something to be said about that. I think you get a lot farther, uh, in the community by putting in the work and, uh, you know, working through the frustration. I think a lot of people, when they first start fishing, what turns people away is that it can be utterly 
a frustrating thing, right? Um, I think, you know, if, if, if you stick with it and uh, you put the work in, you know, good things, good things are going to happen. Um, certainly good things have happened to me by putting in the, putting in the time. And then, you know, it goes into the next part where it's like, um, when you put in the work, people recognize that you put in the work and they recognize that you have something to bring to the table. And then you start getting more information from others, right? As opposed to just being the guy that's like, Hey, give me the numbers. You know, where is he fishing? Where is their fishing? You know, like, you know, the guy that follows other boats, that kind of guy, uh, or like, well, you'll have a, a completely open set of beach and some dude comes plops up right next to you just because he saw you catch, you know, saw you catch a fish. Uh, nobody likes that guy. Don't, don't, don't be that guy. Put the work in, figure it out. And, um, you know, you'll be a lot more successful in the long run because it's all about, you know, that whole thing like teach a man to fish, you know, yeah. that adage. Uh, I think it's it's the same where if you're self-teaching yourself how to fish, um, you're uh, and doing the research and getting, you know, getting these ideas and, and, and really paying attention to some of the patterns that you see out on the water. You can replicate those things later on and, and, and be successful in any situation. Um, are you going to have frustrating days? Yeah, you are. I mean, that's just yeah. the name of the game. It is what it is. It's fishing. It's what they call fishing, not catching, right, Brian? Yeah. yeah, and it's painful every time. It's like, damn, just get on the hook. Don't ask him much. <laughs> just give me a nibble. Just, give me just a, a sign. Give me something. Yeah. Let me know I there's life it. here. Yeah, just just let me know. That the, I'm good with a crab. Let's have a crab in my bait, you know? Let's go with that. That's exciting. I mean, if crab got on for me, if I reeled in a crab, I'll admit it. I'd be that guy. You're in half. Your claws now gone. Your knuckles are now mine. Get out there. Now you're bringing me something. <laughs> Jerk. Pay, yeah, make yeah, you pay yeah. for it. <laughs> what do you recommend to someone coming to your area to fish for the very first time that has never been there before, before they even try to start fishing? Um, there's a bunch of online resources. So like, uh, uh, the Georgia saltwater fishing community. That's, I think, the largest Facebook group that we have for Southeast Georgia. They've got over 10,000 members. Again, you got to be, uh, you know, it's not getting on there and asking the the bait shop question, like, what's biting? No, get get on there and, and tell people where you're going, uh, you know, what you're planning on doing uh, when you get there, what you're trying to target. And I think a lot of folks on that page are... You know, I haven't run into any any folks that are, you know, real jerks on that page. Every now and again, you get somebody, but you know, I'm one of the admin on it, so I ban people like that. Uh, I but, love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I it, it, you know, you want to get sideways and, and give some new guy a hard time. Like this is not the place to do it. You can go to the land-based shark fishing page and do that all day. Um, <laughs> You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. Um, I do. Yeah. It's like talking to myself right now. Like I, I, I'm one of the admins for Panhandle Surf Fishing. Same thing. Oh, Snook Candy. Bye. Deleted and gone. <laughs> oh, you should have done this. Mm, no problem. Delete it. Goodbye. Yeah. No, no need for you that. You know, if, if if you want a healthy community, like you know, just don't 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 be like that. Uh, but you. Get on there, repeat exactly what you're doing, not like the old bait shop question, like what's biting. No, number one, nobody's going to answer that. Um, 
we always used to have because you know in new york it was completely savage right when we would have because uh, we'd have this period of time like of, of uh, we'll say like kind of pensive aggravation where it was like <laughs> it was too cold to get on the boat to go fishing uh but it wasn't cold enough that there was ice on the water so you'd get <laughs> these guys that would they get on the ice fishing pages and they'd be like where's the ice at where's the ice oh. at and then and then you get what you invariably get one guy but go check yourself man drive out there if i found the ice do you think i'm gonna tell you you know um but it's you know just get on there tell people what you're doing i mean the thing went down here that i found is there's not as many secrets as there was like where we're from you know connecticut yeah. i mean you'd have to you know you'd have to kiss the ring of 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 some old you know quint like codger to get any kind of information about you know fishing spots and stuff where we're from like they're so tight-lipped you know what i mean um but down here people are more than willing to help you out just like don't be a don't be a jerk about it you know yeah i mean hey this is my show i can say it don't be a dick <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't have said it better myself yeah <laughs> welcome everybody you're welcome be that all right last question of the episode we'll get you out of here brian what's next for you so my big thing right now is uh i just got my boat back on the water well it's it's it hasn't been on the water yet i did a complete rewire of my gash my next thing Ooh. is kind of twofold i got to get out with seth and kevin and do some of that crazy shark fishing stuff um i'm looking forward to the running the bulls um i've told myself that i'm actually gonna fish it this year i was about i've to been add. a sponsor i've been a sponsor since it started but uh, <laughs> i haven't actually fished it uh so I, I think i'm gonna fish it uh I'm, I'm gonna at least try and get out there this year and fish it um or at least help tom out with some of the stuff that he's got going on uh, usually I'm so burnt out with building rods by that point for that event that, uh, I don't want anything to do with fishing for a, a week or two, but I'm going to really make an effort. And then as far as the business goes, uh, um, I've got plans to put up a, uh, a workshop, uh, on the property here that, uh, it's kind of going to double It's my boat plus, you know, woodworking stuff, which I, you know, I have to have keep you know, with this garage, I have to keep, have keep, have it keep, you know, stored away for most, for the most part. Um, obviously I can't do woodworking in here because dust is bad for rod Nothing. building. Yeah. It doesn't go very well with epoxy. No, it does not. Um, <laughs> I used to have, uh, uh, my, we had a cat that, uh, lived in here, Jenny. Um, and Jenny was cool to have around, uh, but I would constantly fight the the fur. So I actually had to buy like an industrial um, uh, air filter system for the garage. So that way I didn't get any more fur in the rods. If anybody out there owns my rods and is listening, there's a good chance there's Jenny fur somewhere in your rod. Uh, and if you're catching fish, <laughs> it's probably good luck. But uh, Jenny, Jenny went missing. She was an outdoor cat. She went missing a, a number of months ago. And, um, but one of the things I, I, I loved that cat. She was cool. But uh, one of the things I don't miss is having to deal with all the, 
all the fur and everything that that she that she had. Um, if she came back, I'd welcome her back. But I'm like, oh man, I gotta I gotta I gotta run the industrial strength uh, uh, machine. But one of the things <laughs> I, I want to put a shop up uh, and have um, I want to have building uh, so rod building uh, or I want a building area or like a wrapping area. I want like a kind of a dirty area where I do like some of the, like I'll cut planks uh, just to keep the dust down. Uh, I want to be able to, I want my own paint booth. Uh, So an area to to paint uh, rod blanks with, you know, proper ventilation and everything. Um, Because right now, like I got to, I got to pick my days and it's a whole process to paint, to paint blanks. Um, They turn out great, but it's just the whole process. And then, um, you know, obviously a finishing area for epoxy and having each one of those areas kind of walled off and you know um, you know obviously climate controlled because one of the big things with epoxy is uh, relative humidity and temperature is a is a big problem that was one of the biggest things that when i moved down here to georgia that i had to get used to was um, laying epoxy in upstate new york was different than laying epoxy in south georgia uh, yeah. It took a little while to figure it out, but I did. So, well, seriously, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Lots of good stuff tonight. Just uh, going nuts. I'm loving it. Uh, thank you for all the things you've done for that kid community too. With kids can fish. There's a lot of kids and a lot of people too that don't realize how good it is that the rod they got. So, well, not yet, maybe. But thank you for the things you're doing, man. You're making great rods, and you're a hell of a human being. So. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. All right, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I hope this was fun for you because it was fun for me. Um, Custom rods are always one of those things that I'm like, man, I don't know. Do I want one? Yeah, of course I want one. Do I need one? Eh, Needs relative. But probably one day I need to get my hands on one. You've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Hope you're doing well. Enjoy yourself. Take care. We'll talk to you next week. I am out of here. (laughs) 